yet it's gone under the radar for too long. It's It was first described in 1935, but this year uh, was the first time that there's been um, a platform like in the U.S. government for um, advocating for PCOS within our government. So this, it's been a long time coming. And so PCOS Challenge helped to build that up. Hey, Love Food listener, Julie Duffy Dillon here. I'm preparing season four of the Love Food podcast. And in the meantime, I'm rebroadcasting the PCOS and Food Peace podcast. Kimmy Singh and I interviewed people navigating their food peace journey while affected by a chronic condition called polycystic ovarian syndrome. Do you not experience this yet? Experience diabetes, high cholesterol, high blood pressure, or another condition and don't wanna diet? Or are you feeling shame every time you leave the doctor's office or avoid them altogether because of the weight talk? Or are you looking for more body liberating resources? Well, then we made this podcast just for you. Pencil me in for Tuesday, September 17th, when season four of a Love Food Podcast begins. And now, the PCOS and Food Peace Podcast. Take care. Chapter nine, Sasha Odie turning challenges into advocacy. Hi, and welcome to the PCOS and Food Peace podcast. I am Julie Duffy Dillon. And I'm Kimmy Singh. We're so glad that you're here with us today. We put this show together with you in mind, and we hope that it gives you the companionship that you're looking for as you navigate your PCOS journey. Kimmy and I have worked to put a show together that shines a light on voices often not heard in PCOS circles. You will hear from people like Jess Baker, Ivy Felicia, Danny Adriana, Sophie Carter-Khan, and many others. Every interviewee was asked a series of questions about their PCOS journey. This episode features Sasha Odie. She's founder of PCOS Challenge. First, we'll start today how we start every chapter of the PCOS and Food Peace podcast with a listener question. We gathered these questions on Instagram, through our Facebook community, or email newsletter. Today's question comes from someone that responded to our email newsletter. Yes, in my email newsletter, if you would like to be a part of it, and it's a place where I can stay connected with you, share more tips, and also share information about my other podcast called Love Food, you can get to it by going to pcosandfoodpeace.com slash podcast. So Anonymous asked us, hi, Julie, so glad that you're going to be starting this podcast just for us PCOS warriors. I have some medical issues that keep me from being able to do high-intensity workouts, I have been able to lose weight in the past with those levels of workouts, but eventually facing face injuries um, and intuitive eating. Now I can just do intuitive eating. I say just, but that's a huge improvement from the binge slash restrict cycle that I was in Um, and low impact workouts like water classes and walking. Is there hope for me with my weight? So this is a loaded question for so many reasons. Mm -hmm. Um, The first part I wanted to respond to was that if you're having issues keeping you from doing high intensity workouts, I think it's a really clear sign that your body is telling you that's not what it wants. 
For sure. That's exactly what I was thinking. Like the body is giving this feedback and it's probably there for a reason. And to not think that the body's um, being lazy or doing something wrong, it's actually providing really great information. And something else I know to be true is that we don't have to do a certain type of workout in order to be in a place to promote health. And rather like if a work workout type of activity is painful or hurts, it's not sustainable, meaning it's not going to be long-term. And so uh, to me, I'm like, well, then is it really going to be something that's going to be improving health for the rest of your life? And if you can't do it long-term, then no. And Mm -hmm. as we go through life, things will change and things will feel different in our body. And so staying aligned with your body will keep you like kind of on the cusp on what actually your body needs. And it may need rest and need, may need low intensity. It may want some high intensity stuff and it may not. And it's um, really important to keep that in mind that you can promote health with PCOS with aligning that with that. And um, we don't have to do high intensity stuff. Like the, there's certainly uh, information we're gathering from research that doing um, any type of movement, you know, it could be, um, I think about like dancing, it could be walking, it can be um I don't know, having lots of sex. I don't know, just something that gets the heart rate up or just moves the body in any way you want. Um, If you're doing it for like 20 minutes, that's enough to kind of get the insulin levels to go down. And so you don't have to do it forever and you don't have to do these high intensity things. But um, anyway, that's something that I wanted to share with this person that you don't have to rely on just one thing because I think high intensity workouts are super popular right now. I think they're trendy and some people love them, but you don't have to do them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, just because people are saying that you should, or because you see other people doing it on Instagram. Yeah. It doesn't mean that you have to do it. I feel like you have to listen to your body above everything else and everyone else. Mm-hmm, for sure. Well, what do you think too about the person mentioning intuitive eating and marrying it with weight <laughs> loss? Like, what are your thoughts on that? <laughs> well, like, I hate to see the two combined, but I know mm-hmm. it's an important discussion to have. Um, I just, I feel like the two just don't go together at all because the more, or anytime that you're focusing on weight loss, you have to focus on that number on the scale. And when you focus on that number on the scale, you can't accurately listen to what your body's telling you. For sure. Yeah. um, You know, the people who wrote Intuitive Eating, which um, if you're not familiar with it, go to intuitiveeating.org. You'll find it's it's a book that was originally written by two dietitians in the mid 90s, and they've had a couple of new editions since then. There, I believe, are 80 plus studies now on on intuitive eating and how it promotes health long term. And um, what we know is that it was designed to be a healing type of strategy not a weight loss strategy. And what the authors spell out in the book and many, many times is that when we try to pair healing our relationship with food and promoting health with the pursuit of weight loss, that they conflict and they'll keep a person like in circles. And I know it's really tough to like tease apart weight and health, but if you're kind of new to that concept, I often would say, if you were like sitting in front of me, is like, what, what if you just for like the next three to six months, you experimented with teasing them apart and focused on health and healing and peace instead of the number on the scale? Because I agree with you, Kimmy, a hundred percent that like when we focus on the scale, I feel like 
not only are we, are we not promoting healing, which I think is like long-term, what's the most important thing. But if, if someone is so worried about health and doing some health trolling with that, when we focus on the scale, it keeps us from options that are going to promote health too. Because I feel like people will get down and dirty into like, well, I can't eat that because it screws up my macros. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you're talking about a carrot. Like, okay, it's okay <laughs> yeah. to eat carrots or mm-hmm. it's okay to eat an apple. And, um, you know, those are keeping people from options that are health promoting. And I know I use like fruits and vegetables, which, you know, I, I, I include all the foods in that, but I feel like, um, it gets down to some really detailed things that keep people really from options. And, yeah. um, one of the things that I learned from the intuitive eating folks, uh, I think it was Evelyn Triboli. She mentioned at one point that we live in a world that thinks, every bite is going to either kill us or cure us. And it just is not that way. And so when we think in that black and white ter- way about food, that perfectionism is what is so harmful. So for you, um, Anonymous, um, you know, pursuing movement that's sustainable and pleasurable will be long-term. And Kimmy and I support that that's something that's going to promote healing and keep you away from that binge restrict cycle that is so prevalent that comes with the pursuit of weight loss. We don't know what's going to happen to your weight. We have don't have a crystal ball. And we also think it's a moot point, you know, and we appreciate there's weight stigma that can result from that. And we also know that weight doesn't define your health. So we hope that you can tease that apart from it. And mm-hmm. Sasha Odie is someone that talks a lot about this kind of experience in her interview. And she felt dismissed a lot when she went to the doctor's office and felt like everyone just wanted to pay attention to her weight. And because of that constant like dismissal, she turned that challenge into a way to advocate for others, which is pretty amazing. She started PCOS Challenge. And we're going to hear from her and all uh, that goes in with her interview in just a moment after this commercial break. This rebroadcast of the PCOS and Food Peace podcast is brought to you by my PCOS and Food Peace courses. If you're experiencing PCOS, I know at some point you were told you have to diet in order to promote health, like forever. So what do you do when you've tried every diet and it hasn't worked? What do you do if you know diets don't work for most people? So why would they work when you have PCOS? I have a course just for you. I have a 12-step system that I take people through who are wanting to move away from diets, heal the relationship with food, do intuitive eating work, and promote health at the same time. Yeah, it's possible. If you want to look at all the details, go to PCOSandFoodPeace.com. And keep in mind that I have a 25% off coupon that when you're in the checkout area, just put in the coupon code PODCAST and you'll get 25% off. So I look forward to seeing you within the course. And if you're a dietitian who helps people with PCOS, which so many people are affected by this condition. So I have a feeling if you're a dietitian, you are working with people with PCOS. And if you're a dietitian who is haze informed or uses only non-diet approaches, if you don't, well, look into them because they're a really important part of the PCOS healing experience. And if you want some more tools to help those clients with PCOS, go to the course I designed just for you. It has 20 continued education units through CDR, and you can get to all the details at pcosandfoodpeace.com slash dietitians. 
This rebroadcast is also brought to you by Kimmy Singh's work at tastingabundance.com. So Kimmy Singh, when she recorded this podcast with me, was finishing up her master's degree in nutrition and starting her dietetic internship. And she is all done. She is a dietitian now and seeing clients. If you would like to know more about her work, she does speaking nationally and she also works with clients individually. If you'd like to know more about her work, go to tastingabundance.com. All right, enough of all that. Let's get back to the show. Kimmy and I are thrilled to share our interview with Jess Baker. She's a positive, progressive, and magnificently irreverent force to be reckoned with in the realm of self-love, advocacy, and mental health. She believes in the importance of body autonomy, hard conversations, strong coffee, and even stronger language. She does all of these in our interview, and we loved it. After creating satirical versions of Abercrombie & Fitch advertisements in 2013, she appeared on the Today Show and quickly became one of the leading voices in the current body image movement. That's why it was so important to include Jess Baker in the PCOS and Food Peace podcast. When not writing, Jess spends her time speaking around the world, working with plus-size clothing companies, organizing body liberation events, taking pictures in her underwear, and attempting to convince her cats that they liked to wear bow ties. Learn more about Jess at themilitantbaker.com. The interview with Jess is coming up next, following this brief commercial break. This PCOS and Food Peace podcast is being brought to you by Theralogics, the makers of Avocetol, an inositol supplement with a blend of myo-inositol and de-chiro-inositol in the body's optimal ratio of 40 to 1. Inositols are nutrients that help to decrease insulin resistance, promote menstrual regularity, restore ovulation, and balance hormone levels. In convenient powder form, Avocetol can be enjoyed in your favorite beverage or smoothie. Available in both a canister and convenient single-serving packets, Avocetol contains 100% pure inositols with no additives. It also is the only inositol supplement that I recommend to my clients with PCOS because it does have that very important 40 to 1 ratio and is third-party tested. Order online today at Theralogics.com. That's T-H-E-R. A-L-O-G-I-X.com. And during checkout, be sure to use my PRC code 127410 and you will get an exclusive PCOS and Food Peace podcast discount. Also, be sure to listen to the end of this episode where we will give you the opportunity to win a free 90-day supplies of Avocetol. So go to Theralogics.com and use the PRC at code 127410. Hi, Sasha. Hi, Julie and Kimmy. How are you? Good. We're so happy to have you. Yes. I am so honored for you, that you invited me to join your podcast. Thank oh, you. Thank you. And tell us how you figured out you have PCOS. I figured out that I had PCOS back in my late 20s when I, you know, my period just stopped. And that was strange to me. <laughs> um, I think we all learned about, um, you know, healthy bodies. And one of the things that 
woman is supposed to experience, what we all learn is a cycle every 25, 28 to 35 days. And so when mine stopped, I was alarmed because I knew I wasn't pregnant. And so I automatically um, called a physician. Actually, she was a new doctor, an OBGYN, and went to see her and told her I was um, worried about my period stopping. Um, So she ran tests, you know, my hormone levels and did an, a transvaginal ultrasound. And in the next uh, visit, the follow-up visit, uh, told me that I had PCOS. Mm. Wow. It's like your doctor was, sounds really informed, you know, because I feel like a lot of people, they had to go through so many different people to just even get to that information. Well, yeah, that's actually a common experience for many who are, um, who have PCOS. They go to multiple Mm -hmm. doctors, multiple. I was in the, um, you know, I I work in the the health, in healthcare and the medical field. And so I had, you know, certain experts at my disposal. But uh, when I told her what my concerns were, um, she tried to reassure me by saying, you know, don't worry about not having your period. Many women would love not having their period. Mm. Mm. And so I felt that she was dismissing me, my concerns. Um, And she gave me a pamphlet, uh, told me to go to see an, she referred me to an endocrinologist and told me to come back to her when I wanted to get pregnant. Um, which wasn't even, you know, a part of the discussion before then. So, I, I mean, she she was knowledgeable in the fact that she was able to me. She recognized the symptoms, um, uh, irregular period, as one of the um, signs of PCOS. Um, however, her delivery after that mm-hmm. was less than optimal. <laughs> So since then, how has your relationship with healthcare professionals been in relation to your PCOS treatment? Well, um, after that, I did go to see the endocrinologist and he said, yes, you, um, you have issues with your insulin. And by the way, neither of them wrote PCOS down as a diagnosis. They wrote down hyperinsulinemia hmm. because I, <laughs> at that time I, I, Maybe even today, that might have they might have had issues with um, reimbursement from insurance, right? And so um, he told me, yes, you have um, issues with your insulin. What you need to do is lose weight and come back to see me in six months. And then, so my my first response was, so do I get to see a nutritionist, a dietitian? Um, he said, sure. So I, I tried to to schedule an appointment with a dietitian and my health care, uh, my health insurance at that time didn't allow me to go see, uh, uh, well, didn't reimburse for a dietitian because I wasn't di- diabetic. <laughs> so here I was trying to prevent the long-term complications of, you know, becoming a diabetic or, um, or heart, uh, heart disease. And I was told by my insurance company that 
they didn't they didn't reimburse for nutrition counseling wow. um, as a part of the plan. So I I felt really let down by my healthcare team at this point. It was um, it was a disappointment to I felt really much on very much on my own wow. at this point. Yeah, like they gave you the quote unquote solution, but yet no actual way to get there. Yeah, it's like a continual dismissal. <laughs> That's what it sounds like, you know? <laughs> it, it, it was. And after doing research, I realized that there were so many other women, girls, other people with PCOS who felt the same way. They felt mm-hmm. alone. They felt let down. They felt like there were no resources um, for them to improve their health. Um, most people were told just to lo- lose weight if you had, if you were a person of size. And if you were um, a lower uh, weight person or, or a lean woman, then you had no options. Mm-hmm. So most people still, um, if when we listen to people from around the world, tell their stories about PCOS and how they got diagnosed and what happened um, post-diagnosis, most people feel so alone. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it's it, it can be disheartening just, yeah. um, <laughs> you know, just, just finding out that you really don't have um, many options, but you do. They're just, you know, most, um, many healthcare providers just don't know how to, to deliver mm-hmm. those um, treatment options to you. Mm-hmm. And I'm yeah. sure you know it better than anybody else that PC, people with PCOS, like there are so many different types of symptoms and experiences and body types. And I feel like regardless of all that, a common denominator is a lack of medical support. It's a, it's a lack of medical support. And then it's being shamed um, by, yeah. by some of the healthcare providers that you do see. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a very common story that's it's not unique to PCOS but so many people have told me I don't even go to the doctor anymore mm-hmm. they shame me every single time that's the first thing that the doctor says oh you haven't lost any weight or you've mm-hmm. gained weight mm-hmm. and so this speaks to um, the lack of understanding from many in the medical community about how um, PCOS does affect uh, your weight or Mm-hmm. Um, or just how to be compassionate and how to help, how to work with uh, their patients to, you know, to provide other solutions that don't necessarily uh, center around your weight. Since you were diagnosed, like right at that time and even later, how have you told people in your life about your PCOS? Very shortly after I got diagnosed and just saw the need, I. Um, created PCOS challenge. Um, so I decided I needed to, um, form a nonprofit that, um, provided information, accurate information, evidence-based information and support for, um, who feel alone and feel, um, let down by, uh, their healthcare team or don't have access to care. Mm-hmm. Um, so very shortly after I got diagnosed, i I founded the organization, and that's how I told a lot of my family members and friends. <laughs> yeah. they, you know, they asked, what is this? What's PCOS? 
Um, and then I tell them. <laughs> wow. I'm thinking about you to like, well, here's a website. I made it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm curious, like having that resource for them, is it something that you feel like is helpful for navigating your relationships? Um, I, well, I'll just say, I don't think you have to disclose your condition, right? But for yeah. me, it's, part, it's a part of, um, awareness. So that's my mission, right? Is to raise awareness and advocate for those. Um, for me, having this uh, organization and meeting other people with PCOS and hearing their struggles and um, and learning about how it affects people individually, uh, that was, you know, in itself an array, uh, awareness raiser for me. And But I think for uh, those who love people with PCOS, uh, finding the resources at PCOSChallenge.com or um, PCOSChallenge.org and um, and finding out that there were so many people in the similar con- um, in a similar situation as their loved ones it is helpful and figuring and learning from other perspectives how PCOS affects other people was helpful. We've got we've um, We've had uh, multiple mothers and fathers and um, friends reach out to us and, you know, advocating for their loved ones and finding resources from us. So this has been um, a a really, um, for me, meaningful experience, um, just advocating for for those with PCOS around the world um, together. So so building this platform for women and uh, men to feel empowered about um, advocating on behalf of themselves or other um, people with a condition is, is just a truly, truly um, em- empowering feeling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm wondering how has PCOS affected your relationship with food? My relationship with food has gone through many, many cycles. Um, before I was diagnosed with PCOS and after being diagnosed with PCOS. So like everyone else, especially because I didn't have access to a dietitian or, or nutritionist, um, I had to figure out a lot on my own. And one of the things I did was join a research study that was on nutrition in PCOS. So um, I was living in Maryland at the time, and I drove all the way to Richmond, um, Virginia, (laughs) to be a part of this study every few weeks. Um, And there I had access to nutrition counseling, and uh, but a lot of it was focused on weight and weight loss. I I feel like looking back in retrospect, um, my relationship with food just hasn't been the healthiest even when I was following certain protocols mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because I would stick within a certain restricted calorie caloric recommendation for the day. And it wasn't about the quality of the food. It was about um, how can I um, eat three meals or six meals a day um, for um, only 1,200 or 1,500 So that changed my relationship with food um, a lot because I I became obsessed with trying to figure out 
how to how to eat to wait to lose weight. So it wasn't about how to eat um, and what foods were mm-hmm. pleasurable. Uh, it was about how to eat um, twelve hundred a day for you know to promote weight loss. Yeah, yeah. I there's a really big reason why I think. Um pushing weight loss for PCOS is so harmful for people. And it's just that like when a person's focusing on what the number on the scale says, they're not focusing on what is health promoting. Um, and it's hard, I know for maybe someone listening or to other people to tease that apart, but like if a person is just like, Oh, what can I do to weigh less? Um, and I can appreciate, um, you know, I, as you probably know, I don't have PCOS. So like, I can't understand what it's like, but I, I've heard so many people talk about like, I, I would do anything to like weigh less. And they tried just about everything w- except for maybe cutting off a limb, you know, <laughs> and, and maybe, um, yeah, just like anything extreme. And, and what I would label as a clinician, like, wow, that's, that's anorexia nervosa. That's not dieting or whatever you want to call it. That's like legit an eating disorder. And, um, I think that's why it's like, well, anorexia is not health promoting. That's, we know that. And so, um, yeah, there's the, the part of pushing people at higher weights to eat in a way that we would call pathological and lower weight people is really concerning. And, um, yeah, that's why like this conversation I think is so important and what you're talking about, like, even though you may have felt at the time, like, wow, I'm doing great. I'm following the protocol, but looking back, it's like, oh, I was so disconnected and not really feeling that great, you know? Well, Julie, the the thing is, the positive reinforcement that Mm -hmm. you get when you lose weight, when you're in a program like this, um, is, you know, kind of further pushes you to continue that behavior. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I was also, I also joined boot camps, you know, and and was really pushing myself, really pushing myself to um, show that I'm, show to myself that I can, you know, you know, I'm leading this organization. So I should be showing that I'm um, paying attention to my health. Right. And what does that look like to everyone (laughs) if, if you lose weight, right. Or if you, you know, you, you choose to fit into this, this certain um, box uh, or check all the boxes for your healthcare providers. So looking back, that just wasn't the healthiest behavior because it wasn't sustainable and it wasn't enjoyable. Yeah. And I mean, even if you think of, I'm sure most of us have with PCOS have had experiences when they did drop weight, they would get so much positive feedback from healthcare professionals that have been shaming in the past. And um, yeah, it's really, it's really harmful how that behavior is promoted without any questions about their lifestyle or, you know, what's going on behind the scenes. Yeah. It's not, not only from your healthcare providers, um, even though, uh, a lot of people will uh, report that they go through these extreme measures when they know they have uh, a health uh, checkup coming <laughs> coming up because they're like, oh, I have to lose 10 pounds before I go to my doctor next. Otherwise, he, he or she is going to, that's the first thing they're going to ask me. But also your family and your friends. I, I remember in my earlier 20s when I was, um, I, I, stopped wanting to go home because 
certain relatives, the first thing they would comment on is my weight, whether it was, um, oh, oh, you, you, you put on a lot of weight or, oh my gosh, you look so great. You've lost, Mm -hmm. you know, you've lost a lot of weight. I was offended either way. (laughs) Mm So, so, um, just the first, you know, I, I felt like my worth to them was reduced to how much I weigh or how I looked. And Mm -hmm. that's not a feeling of being loved. So I remember um, one summer before I went home to to Jamaica, this is, um, I'm originally from Jamaica. When I went home, I starved myself for the entire summer because I knew I was going to go home to see relatives who would comment on my weight you know so so that that like you said julie was was disordered eating behavior that's an eating disorder and um it, it's it it becomes it's a lot of pressure for a person who grows up in a certain body type um when you know and, and growing up i was the heavier one and my sister was the leaner one but we both grew up with certain insecurities because people would pick us apart and compare us to each other you know I was the smart one she was the skinny pretty one and mm-hmm. <laughs> that's that's truly unfair for um to put that much pressure or um importance on how people look or because um or because of their body weight so this influence my behavior with food, um, my behavior with, with, um, exercise, because there was a point in my life where I was exercising, uh, seven days a week, you know, just to lose weight, just to look a certain way so that, um, I wouldn't receive those comments. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And it's a shame the way, um, it's almost like with family, you know, you would hope that that connection would be there would be consistent. But when everybody feels like your body is open for commentary every time you see them, it really changes everything. Oh, yeah. I actively avoided seeing certain people um, mm-hmm. <laughs> because I knew that was that was going to be the first thing. So and, you know, it's a shame that um, that it's a shame that this kind of influences so much about your life. Right. <laughs> so having to, you know, lose weight for the purpose of whatever it is to, um, to, 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 for your family, you know, to, to avoid commentary or to feel better. Because honestly, I felt, I felt better when I lost weight, um, because I was able to, and this is when I was younger, of course, because I was able to, to fit into certain size clothing. Um, you know, it, it was, it was very, um, is there was so much distress around shopping or, you know, just, just so many things, family gathering, um, going to parties, you know, all, all of these things. So, um, body image issues in PCOS and just across the board, um, just drives so much about what, how you live your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think about someone listening right now who can relate to what you were saying about like, wow, yeah, I'm not going home either, or I'm not connecting with people in my life anymore because of this 
um, shame I'm feeling in my body or maybe because I want to avoid food or a food situation because I want to follow this kind of protocol. And I hope um, by listening, they can maybe not hold it within themselves as like they're doing it wrong or they need to be ashamed, but rather like, let's put this where it needs to be, which is anger towards these systems that are harming um, and continuing to harm and keeping people from accessing dignified and comprehensive care for PCOS and for so many different things. Yeah. And then once I did get the PCOS diagnosis, like so many of us were like, it, it, we're like, oh my gosh, this is an explanation um, for why I, you know, have difficulty losing weight or I, I keep gaining weight. So I need to figure out um, a way to be healthy, but this is not my fault, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Some of our eating um, disordered eating practices were really encouraged by our healthcare providers. And so what's the balance, Julie? What's the balance? <laughs> <laughs> you know, trying to um, to be healthy, right? And healthy at any size, which is a newer concept for me and, and other people, but try to be healthy mm-hmm. um, and, and kind of advocating for yourself with medical providers. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, are you asking me a question? Because I'm happy. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't be sorry. Because uh, I think what's important, and I, I I think back to like when I started to question weight loss prescriptions for health, is we need to really tease apart weight and health, and um, also acknowledge that we don't have any like way of eating that helps keep weight off long-term for most people and promotes health at the same time. So like with those, like just doing that right there, I feel like it ends up making weight a moot point, you know, because, um, having, um, taking that off the table, you know, and that's one of the first things I teach any person that I work with, with PCOS is like, let's take the weight off the table. Let's take the scale out of the picture and just focus on what helps you to, ovulate or help you have less fatigue, you know, or sleep better. And holy moly, like health improves tremendously. And sometimes weight changes and sometimes it doesn't, you know, and there's, there's PCOS just means that the scale is just not a measure of any kind of progress. And it's not a moral issue either. Like it's, it's not a measure of how worth worthy you are. And I think that's what has ended up happening now in our world is like, we're, we kind of have the, on the outside, it's like, oh, well, weight is health, you know, but really I think that's almost like a cover for you're only worthy if you are a certain size. And so I think we need to all question our own kind of bias when it comes to that. And um, so, yeah, like whenever I'm in conversations with people that maybe you're just not on the same page as what Kimmy and I do, um, that's basically what I always like to throw out there is, you know, um, let's look at that. And um, yeah, so I hope I answered your question. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> uh, that, that, that's great. I, I know just looking at the larger picture and being involved in, in research and just how much I have to advocate as a, um, a patient advocate um, to researchers about um, how what they put out um, 
influences how physicians interact with their patients and what they prescribe patients. And just looking at it from a different lens, right? Mm -hmm. Um, We know that, you know, most diets don't work. um, And we know that a lot of people regain weight um, after following whatever prescription it might be, whether um, pharmacologic uh, prescriptions or uh, exercise or, you know, whatever, or, or, or diets. So I I think the bigger, (laughs) the bigger um, part of this or the bigger picture is that um, uh, research that is, is mostly focused on weight loss or obesity or um, losing weight. So that's what all the literature says. Um, and that's how doctors operate. So how can we, and you know, this is probably for a conversation offline, um, but this is something that needs to be um, included in the design of research or, you know, thought about in the design of research and, um, you know, what, 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 what is a way to look at this outside of prescribing weight loss? I don't know if you heard of that, but I was like jumping up and down when you said that, because I feel like that is so much of the problem is that there's bias in the research. Because again, we don't have any real way to help people lose weight long term anyway. So like, why are we just using that as like the basis of all the research? <laughs> like, um, yeah. what about looking at some other things that um, can help people promote health that actually have evidence behind them? I feel like there's probably like medications out there. Um, there's probably things we can find out in the physiology that we're just not finding because we're like looking through this lens, lens of weight right? bias. Yeah. So uh, I'm, I'm, so appreciative of your, um, uh, your like knowledge and your like voice in the research realm. I think it's something that has a lot of important power to like help just look at things through a different lens. Yeah. And, and give more information. I don't know if they always hear me, but I, <laughs> yeah, <speak up>. yeah. <laughs> so they'll hear me, but I don't know if they always listen. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because for example, the the latest guidelines in PCOS, Mm -hmm. um, one of the, one section focuses on, um, (laughs) on a 30% deficit, caloric deficit, (laughs) Mm. um, daily. So, and this is horrible. (laughs) And yeah, that's a part of the, our, our latest guideline. And so I spoke up about this. Um, this isn't, this is, there, this is not from any research that was specific to PCOS, of course. Um, uh, there, there's very little research on um, exercise physiology or nutrition in, in, in PCOS. Um, that's just not research that's paid for, right? So mm-hmm. it's, it's really hard to get um, funding for research that that is trying to... Um, figure out the root cause, right? Or, or, or figure out, um, nutrition for PCOS or, or, um, best options for movement or, or any kind of these, um, what they would call alternative, um, alternative, um, treatments for PCOS, but nutrition is not alternative, right? Nutrition is essential and should be the focus. And of course, 
um, uh, we would love to have drugs that are safe and for, for PCOS and other disorders. But also I think it's important, it's imperative that we just, we try to figure out um, what to eat and how, um, just, you know, try, try to dig a little deeper. Mm-hmm. So I know you spoke a little bit about um, how PCOS has affected your relationship with your body, but is there anything else about that that you want to share? Yeah, I think my relationship now has evolved and um, um, that what I spoke about earlier was mostly from my past. I don't have that type of relationship with food um, or or my body right now. I, I think I'm pretty much accepting of many things and um, and I I don't starve myself anymore. Um, I don't weigh myself um, regularly. You know, that's just not what's important to me. What's important to me is um, what I that what I put in my body is promoting health. And I know that I feel and, you know, and I pay attention by how I feel. I feel worse when I try to overdo it. I feel worse when I'm extremely stressed and I feel worse when I eat certain things that are like, like super processed foods or, you know, I, I know, I, I know how to pay attention to my body and not, um, try to conform to, um, whatever standards are put out there for us. Mm-hmm. Yes. So how do you perceive PCOS and other chronic conditions in the realm of body positivity? Oh, I think that PCOS and um, other chronic conditions, especially those that um, impact women or mostly women, um, we're, I think that we're going to kind of change, help, you know, help to change the, um, pave this path for body positivity, right? Because more women have gone, have gone through um, similar journeys to, to what I have. Um, they've gone through eating disorders, um, They've, you know, been told by their doctors that they're not doing enough. It's all in their head. Um, um, do better. And, you know, shamed by medical communities, um, their their uh, family, friends. And so I think we've come to this point, so many of us, you know, after going through um, that tumultuous journey to we've either gone through a point of frustration where we're, where we're like, we're not going to take it anymore, or um, we're just looking to the future. Like, this cannot continue. Uh, the majority of women in, in our, um, in the U.S. and other parts of the world are above a size 10 or a size 14. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, we're not in the minority. And even if we were, um, we, we now realize that our bodies need to be respected and, um, we need to fight against these biases. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I think that advocates in the PCOS community, endometriosis community, fibroids community, all, you know, the body positivity movement is only going to grow and we're not going to shut up. Mm -hmm. Right. So (laughs) I, I think that this is, 
it's there's kind of this the tide is turning and it's not about you know it really I, I don't think that the next generation will have to deal with the same things that um, generations before me did. Mm-hmm. You know, hearing you talk about that, it makes me hopeful, you know, that maybe as people with PCOS come together and realize uh, the common bonds of feeling dismissed and being told it's in your head that it's just going to make everyone link hands and then, you know, get stuff it done, is. you know, and, and to <laughs> overcome and make a new path for those behind them. So um, I feeling hopeful feels good. So um, I'm going to stick with that. <laughs> It's it's just so interesting how similar our stories are, like Mm -hmm. the PCOS, um, uh, the PCOS community, endometriosis community, fibroids community, um, HS community, uh, you know, LGBTQ community. There's so so many communities who have been who felt ostracized, who felt Mm -hmm. um, shamed for being who they are. Um, And. I think we're all just, just, we all, we can all agree that um, the the commonality is that we just all want to um, be accepted and be a part of the solution for whatever it is that, that ails us or um, whatever it is that we feel discriminated against. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What do you wish other medical providers or just the world knew about PCOS? PCOS is a, condition disorder that affects millions, hundreds of millions around the world. Um, yet it's gone under the radar for too long. It's, it was first described in 1935, but this year uh, was the first time that there's been um, a platform like in the U.S. government for um advocating for PCOS within our government. So this it's been a long time coming. And um, so PCOS Challenge helped to build that uh, platform. But now that we've, um, as a collective group of people with PCOS, um, have this platform and we're feeling much more empowered, we're not going to back down or back away from um PCOS becoming a healthcare priority. Um, PCOS is um, a condition that can lead to um, some of the leading leading chronic conditions um, affecting women, including diabetes, including heart disease, infertility, and even cancer. So, I mean, we're really fired up right now. <laughs> we're asking um, and and in many cases, demanding that PCOS uh, is prioritized. So what they should all know and is that we want to be included in the solution and work together with um, scientists, with doctors, with um, government agencies to change the future. And um, yeah, hope that uh, we know that eventually that um, things will change for the better, but the, the solution would be to include patients and patient voices and patient experiences um, as a part of the solution. So Sasha, what's the best and the worst PCOS advice that you were given? Uh, so the, the best advice, or I'll start with the worst. <laughs> you start with that, whichever one makes sense to you. Yeah. 
<laughs> I think the part that the original doctor who uh, diagnosed me, um, when she told me to be dismissive of not having a regular period, I think that wasn't promoting or encouraging um, me to um, live my healthiest life. So if, you know, there's no way that we should um, be obsessed, but I, I don't think that we should turn a blind eye to things that we feel and we know aren't right with our bodies. That was the worst advice for me. Mm-hmm. The best advice, I think um, after learning more about um body positivity and healthy at any size. I think that's the best advice that I've ever been given is to um, make changes that um, promote happiness and um, mental health and and, and, as well as physical health. Mm -hmm. So now I will not do anything that feels like torture. It's it's sad that it like comes down to that, you know, that that's like the expectation is like, yeah, you should be torturing yourself. Um, yeah. And, and, and not to say that um, people, I think that we should be autonomous. We should have autonomy, mm-hmm. to choose whatever we want to choose in our life. If for me, um, um, those extreme disordered eating or extreme exercising behaviors were not healthy for me or, you know, wasn't I wasn't in the happiest place at that point and if I choose not to um you know to be a a lot less extreme with my lifestyle changes that's um my choice Mm -hmm. but there are people who decide to do otherwise and they feel happy doing what what it is that they're doing they feel like they're taking control of their life and you know I don't I don't I don't dismiss anything choice that people make. I think that we all have, um, should have the autonomy to make our own decisions and live our own life or, you know, we each have our, our own journeys. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Body liberation is a term that I first learned from Jess Baker, who's also part of this interview series. And, um, I think it's so important in the conversation about PCOS and options, you know, everyone gets to decide what works for them. And as I always am someone that's anti-diet, um, there's always somebody who's like, but XYZ diet helped me. And something, instead of trying to convince otherwise, I, I remind myself, well, you know, for three to 5% of people, it will work for them long-term. So great. That's awesome. They found something that worked and they were in an anomaly. That's awesome. <laughs> you know, and for most it's not, you know, I think that even in the short term, um, if something is making you happy and you don't feel tortured and mm-hmm. you don't feel like um, you're missing out on everything else in life, if that's if it's not making you unhappy um, and it's not harming your health, then, you know, I say go for it. The thing that I'm gathering from talking in this podcast series is that a lot of the best advice is around like aligning with your body instead of working yeah. against it. And that's what I heard you say too, that like, um, I'm going to do what feels best for me and have permission for whatever that is. And then permission for the person next to me to do what aligns with their body. And I think that's, that's a hard thing, especially when the world is telling you're doing it wrong. But, um, I do wish anyone listening with PCOS could connect with that, like to align with their body instead of work against it. And I'm wondering, um, if you want to share any tools you use that, that helps you navigate your mental health or your physical wellness with PCOS. 
I'll be completely honest. Yeah. <laughs> that changes from month to month or week to week. I I am not the best with consistent. Like my personality um, requires me to change things. <laughs> so there's mm-hmm. nothing that I was using um, five years ago um, consistently that I'm still using consistently now. So for me, my needs change and I pay attention to that. You know, sometimes for um, depression or anxiety, I'm in um, a therapy um, and other times I'm not. Um, sometimes I choose to walk once a day or twice a day, and that makes me feel better mentally and physically. Across the board, what has helped me and um, for my personality, because I'm an introvert, so I get drained from always, you know, conversing with people, even if it's a therapist. So sometimes for me, I don't want to always be in a therapist's office or I don't always want to be um, um, following a nutrition plan or, you know, but mm-hmm. that's, that's for me. Mm-hmm. Some people, mm-hmm. some people, consistency is key um, and a, a plan is key or a checklist is key. That doesn't always work for me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. And I think that's so helpful for people to, to hear is that, you know, um, it's going to be individual and it's going to change. And, you know, I think about it from um, the medical model that I was trained on with like disease yes. and how mm-hmm. it changes and PCOS is chronic. So it's going to change too. So like what worked five years ago may not work now, you know, yeah. it's just because it's a condition that a person's going to experience for um, throughout their life. So it's, it's going to change. Yeah. yeah. With, with PCOS, other pe- people are experiencing other chronic chronic conditions. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have to be just aware and of, of your body and how you react to certain, certain, um, medications that may elevate my blood pressure or my blood sugar. Mm-hmm. And these are just things that we have to be aware of. We have to adjust to, um, to, to whatever it is that we're experiencing or, um, whatever plan we're on or whatever medication we're on, we have to, we have to, you know, know, figure out or get help to figure out, um, how to navigate Mm -hmm. that. Yeah, Yeah. totally. And, um, well, I wanted to ask you something about, um, when you were first diagnosed, um, and, and, and kind of picture if you could talk to the woman in her late twenties, who's getting that diagnosis for the first time, what do you wish you could say to that person? The one thing that I think will help anyone with PCOS or any condition um, similar to this is not to feel ashamed. And however you can um, uh, get to that point where you're not feeling ashamed, you don't have to share your diagnosis with other people, but um, for a lot of people, Talking about it helps, um, finding somebody you can confide in or a therapist, but listening to hundreds and hundreds of stories um, from women with PCOS, that feeling of shame and the feeling to, with, you know, feeling like you need to withdraw from society because you have this condition or 
it it feels like a source of shame, right? Or or mm-hmm. that's that's something that's the first thing that I think um, can help to um, to help you to pro- to make progress to where um, you live your healthy a healthier mm-hmm. life. Um, because if you're feeling um, so low and so ashamed because of this thing that was beyond your control, that can set you back. So I think just dealing with those feelings first mm. can help you um, to, to push you forward Yeah, uh, where you're living your best life. Right. And I think about anyone listening who's in that shame spiral to yeah. acknowledge, okay, that's where I'm in right now. Um, naming it, I, I feel like has so much power to um, kind of break it in its knees or something to give it less power and, and to, to help, um, more align with what you want to do instead of just being stuck in that shame. And, um, you know, we really appreciate your, your time and your expertise and sharing your lived experience with PCOS, Sasha. It's been really, um, I've learned a lot from, from hearing what you've had to say. And also I appreciate all the work you've been doing with PCOS challenge and, and connecting with the researchers, like I said earlier, I mean, that's something that just makes me so happy that I, to know that you're a little, um, well, you're like this little voice in there that's saying, Hey, <laughs> like, listen to what I'm having to say. And maybe they're not always hearing it, but eventually I think it's going to cause that ripple effect that we're hoping. And if, if someone's wanting to know more about PCOS challenge or to find out more about you, where's a good place for them to go? Sure. Um, thank you so much, Julie, for, um, and Kimmy for having me here. And, um, sharing my story, which is not something that I usually feel comfortable doing, feeling vulnerable, no, right? So thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> but to learn more about PCOS Challenge, you can um, go to our website, pcoschallenge.org, or find us, uh, find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at PCOS Challenge. Cool. And um, yeah, so just just reach out to us. We are having a uh, PCOS Awareness Weekend. We do one every September, which is PCOS Awareness Month. Um, this year, we're going to be in Orlando, um, September 22nd and 23rd. If you go to PCOSChallenge.org, you can find out more about it and um, how to sign up. Great. Well, you know, if someone is wanting to make some last minute plans to go to Disney or just wants to go to Orlando and maybe they're listening to this in real time, you know, this is something that um, they could still try to do. And so we're going to go ahead and put the the links to that in the show notes. And if you're listening to this some other time, maybe 2018's uh, symposium is already over, but yet every year it's something that you put together. So I'm grateful for that. So I'll make sure that people know that they can still look into the next one. And um, again, thank you for your time. I really, really appreciate it and um, have a great day. Thank you. You too. Thanks so much for having me on. I hope you enjoyed this rebroadcast of the PCOS and Food Peace podcast. It was created by Julie Duffy Dillon and Kimmy Singh. Audio engineer is Toby Lyles from 24 Sound. Show art by Katie Sanders from Pop and Gray. Music by Tiny Music and titled Super Pop. We are grateful that you listen to our show. And if you'd like more information about Julie's work, go to juliedillonrd.com. And Kimmy's work, go to tastingabundance.com. Thank you for listening to the show. And we hope it gave you more opportunities to experience food peace.